Welcome to Human Stories with Jill Hazard Rowe, where we explore humanity in all of its realms. Today we have in the studio Brandon Checkets. Oh, Brandon! <laughs> this is like Christmas morning for me. Is that I'm, creepy to say? No, I'm <laughs> so happy to be here, and I'm surprised we're here. This is a few years in the making. I, I told you no many times. But, yeah. Uh, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, um, Brandon and I have, we became fast friends, you know, even though I can be his grandma. Oh, um, that's how life happens, you know. <laughs> people connect by spirits, not so much age. And... Um, we're, we were just talking about how do we know each other? I'm sure it was through social media, and I sent him a friend request, and he accepted. <laughs> and then we had dinner one night after a podcast with actually Matthew Matthew Gong. Yeah, I remember. Um, I came down and met you at City Creek. That was our first meeting. Yeah. And um, Brandon went, was going through a lot of things. Um, mostly he was talking about, like, dinosaurs and stuff. <laughs> Nobody's going to understand what you're talking about. Uh, and I'm we'll like, give more context on yeah, that later. <laughs> I'm not an intellect, so I just remember telling him, Brandon, who cares about the dinosaurs, right? <laughs> yes, uh, I'll definitely expand on that. But uh, yeah, and, and you mentioned the podcast. And I said earlier, I said, no, that sounds really harsh. It was more of a uh, maybe, but not yet. And uh, yeah. as as the years went on, I, I it was just, what was it, a couple months ago, I texted Jill and I said, it feels right. I'm ready. Yeah. And I'm glad we let this uh, ripen um, because I don't think I was ready a, a year or two ago. Yeah, I am. I always. I want my guests to know that they're my friends first. And if they ever feel ready to come in the studio, that's awesome. But if they don't, that doesn't matter to me. And I have to tell you, when you reached out, I felt very honored. Well, and a little tiny bit emotional. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad to be here, and I'm I'm grateful that you've created this platform and this space, even a sacred space for people to share their stories with no agenda. That's what I love so much about this is, and I don't I don't want my story to be a weapon one way or the other. Um, I just want to genuinely share my heart, my mind, my story, and take it for what it's worth. Okay, well, with that, Brandon, I'm just going to turn it over to you <laughs> to share your story with the Human Stories audience. Okay. Well, I um, I grew up in North Logan, Utah. Um, I had a great upbringing. I grew up in a uh, Mormon household with two wonderful parents, three fabulous siblings. I was the oldest. And um, just a very, like, white picket fence neighborhood life. Like, it was just very stable, very... Uh, um, beautiful. And, you know, some might critique that, but it had its, it had its gems. It, it served me well in many ways. I, um, I had a community of support. I, I was surrounded by good people who loved me and cared about me. I, um, I was involved in the scouting program. I went to church every Sunday. I, um, I, a lot of the same people I went to church with, I went to school with, and it was, a, that was my world. It was all I really knew. And, um, and I think it was a good upbringing. What's, you know, I, I could look at my upbringing and make a whole long list of here's all the things that were beautiful and good. And I could make a whole long list of here's all the things that kind of screwed me up. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and that's okay. I think we could all do that. And I want to be very careful not to like 
assign blame to, well, because of my parents or because of this church or because of my community, this happened or this happened. It just, it is what it is. We all have our story. We all have our upbringing. And um, I'm choosing to focus on the pieces that work for me and reclaim and repurpose the parts that didn't. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, I grew up like that. Uh, a very homogenous uh, community, you know, very white, very straight, very um, conservative very um religious and there wasn't a lot of room for dissent dissent wasn't really something i knew like it wasn't common to say i disagree or actually i'm gonna live this way it was just a lot of like conformity and homogeny and um so i i i did that and i did it well because the system rewarded me with validation and with like, you know, look how great Brandon is. He's an Eagle Scout and he makes such good choices. And and he uh, he gives the best talks in church and he asks the best questions in seminary. And and, uh, you know, he uh, he's morally clean. He's going to be a great missionary someday. He got his Eagle Scout. You know, the, the system really rewarded that. And I loved that. And in some ways that served me well. I was, I think I was really confident and happy in some ways. Um, And in some ways I was hurting too. (laughs) Do you think you overcompensated? um, As far as not only was you, you were rewarded, but also maybe hiding a part of you with all the busyness of what that life offered you. Absolutely. I, I just dove all in. I, I, completely embraced that identity I completely embraced that identity and um, fully immersed myself in that culture and um, I stayed busy in it I I stayed busy and active and involved in my church and my scouting program and um, school extracurricular activities but absolutely there there was a piece of me um, deep within that was trying to speak up um, that was saying, you know, this, there's some pieces of this way of being that aren't you, um, mm-hmm. that aren't authentic. But I suppressed that because I didn't see any alternative. Um, I didn't understand how I could be any different than what I was being. And, and some of those things that I was feeling is, one, you know, growing up in a very heteronormative world and culture as a queer man, not really fully knowing that or even having that vocabulary at the time, but but just feeling fundamentally different, you know, that, that certainly impacted me. The way I interacted with my friends and neighbors and the people I went to church with, I, I felt different and I knew I was different, but I didn't know why and I couldn't put words to it. Do you remember, Brandon, about how old you were when those feelings or those thoughts came to you? Uh, I've thought about that question a lot through the years. I, I can't really like pinpoint an exact moment. There were there were stories and there were experiences that happened that should have signaled clearly to me that I was different, that I was queer, that I was not straight, but I, I just didn't have the exposure or the vocabulary to even right. understand those experiences. But I mean, I, I can remember one time going to a scout camp and we were we were all standing in our swimsuits about ready to jump in the lake. And I kind of remember my eyes just like wandering. And one of the one of the guys with me and in my scout group called me out. He said, like, why are you staring? Are you gay? And I'm like, well, gay, what? No, like, I no. didn't even really know what that meant. No, where's my eyes? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember loving the movie Titanic and being obsessed with Jack. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I just thought he was cool, and I just thought the yeah. movie was beautiful, and I just wanted to be like right. him. I mean, there were so many things. I, I Another experience, I remember in choir, we would do this thing every morning where we would 
we would do our warm ups and we would rub each other's shoulders. Mm. And I would always try and sit on um, in the middle of the men's section rather than on the border of the sopranos and the bases so that a man could rub my shoulders versus a, a woman. And it wasn't even calculated or conscious. I just it just like felt better. I just liked it. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, so it sounds like you're sort of not even conscious of some of those decisions. Yeah. And I think just because I was um, I just grew up in a community where there wasn't really like exposure or language for the queer experience i just didn't really know what it was or that i was you know Mm -hmm. yeah makes sense it makes sense that many of our guests say that they felt different but they didn't have the words they didn't have the information to be able to identify what they were feeling so that's a very common thread in this studio um so wonderful childhood um pretty good family. I mean, you yes. have an amazing family, amazing parents, amazing siblings, amazing life there in, in Logan, your grandparents, your extended family. Like yeah. you just come from a very incredible family. Yeah, we had strong roots. We The entire extended family um, would meet every single Monday night for combined family home evening Wow, at grandpa's house. That must have been like <laughs> hundreds of people. Well, not that much, but it was a good group. I mean, it, it got less through the years as people started moving out of Cache Valley. But I mean, it was, yeah, sometimes 40, 50, 60 people um, every, every Monday night. We would have dinner. We'd have a spiritual lesson. I mean, I, can you see how like I just didn't yeah. really have an option to dissent like or to question or to assume a different identity like the identity was fixed right. the belief system was fixed and I just was in it and if I wanted to be a somebody if I wanted to be have worth if I wanted to have validation of course I need to assume those beliefs and that identity and I did and I did it well and I loved the support and validation that came from it um, that I think that in a way like it gave me a lot of stability in my childhood even though pieces of me deep down were suppressed and there were things inside of me that were screaming and not just related to um you know my sexuality but even just i i consider myself like intellectual i'm not saying i'm super smart but i just i think a lot and yeah I, you do and I, I i think about ideas and philosophical concepts and historical events and and the way the world works and the way humanity operates and and there were so many things about mormonism and Judeo-Christianity as a whole that didn't make sense in my mind. And that bugged me. And every time I would have those doubts or those confusions, I would feel ashamed. Like, oh, I shouldn't be doubting this. Of course it's true. And I, and I would I would shove those down and shove those down. And so I think like the, the suppression of my sexuality and the suppression of just fundamentally what I believe, like those two things, th- those were hard. And, uh, and, and that did pain me to a degree. Yeah, so I I never knew that about you, Brandon. I didn't know that you struggled with questions about your religion. I did. Um, At a very, I I thought that came after your mission, but it sounds like as a kid, you always were sort of questioning things. I've always been very curious. My my mom tells me that my kindergarten teacher told her that she's never had uh, a student ask more questions than I did, that it about drove her insane. <laughs> and my son does the same thing. Eli is just constantly asking questions, which I think it's a blessing and a curse. I love that he's so curious and he wants to figure out the world. But yeah. it, it can be mentally exhausting at times. But yeah, I all through high school, I, I was in debate. And so I, I think that's where I was practicing more critical thinking. And ironically, a lot of the, the problems with religion, Judeo-Christianity, Mormonism, you name it, 
they were being introduced to me by my peers in debate because debate kind of attracts the intellects. Right. Um, and and my peers would say, hey, have you ever looked at this? Or do you see the contradictions with that? Or what about the historical problems with this? And I was the one defending the church. Mm-hmm. I was the one saying, no, like, it, it, is, it is true. And I would go to seminary and I would ask my teacher, hey, in debate, someone brought up this and that. And is there an answer? And of course, there's always an answer. And and I would get the answer. And then I would go defend the church the next day with my debate friends. So, or, you know, if there's not an answer, you just need to straighten your faith. Well, sure. If there's not an answer now, we'll find the answer later. You know, yeah. be faithful. But but like in the back of my mind, some of those questions really nagged. I'm like, you know what? That really is a good question. That really is a problem or that really is a hole in our theology. Mm-hmm. And and I would just kind of like be like, oh, dang. Wow. But I would get scared and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't give myself permission to explore that any further. I'd be like, no, I got to put that aside because yeah. leaving the church or coming out as gay, both of those are like super like tragic options that are not on the table. Like Absolutely. anyone I knew who had done that, like their life went to crap. <laughs> you know, so. so you had had seen examples of people coming out and then watching their life fall apart. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Whether coming out um, like when you live in such a, a homogenous like a culture and society anyone who dissents anyone who breaks away from that it's it's not met with it's it's a hard landing and i watched people in high school or even family members who left and it it was met with so much judgment and it was it was almost like if something bad happened to them if they lost their job or they Mm -hmm. had a terrible health problem or it was a result of leaving it, it was the narrative was well of course this happened to them they left the straight and narrow path the path of happiness the path of godliness of course their life is going to start decaying but yet if you were in the church and that happened it would just be like oh a trial a trial god's god's it's it's funny how we assess the situation and give it a a name right yeah yeah it's it's so interesting looking back in hindsight yeah. at, at the narratives we operate with it is, it is very hard to leave any orthodox religion particularly you know your family's in it and your friends and it's been your life yeah. so it's almost um it's terrifying because then you have to start to redefine who you are without all of those Exactly. Especially when it's an all or nothing system. Right. Um, you know, it's some some religious systems that are more nuanced. They, it, there's more room to just, you know, take what works for you, leave what doesn't. You're welcome in our community. But um, a more orthodox faith system like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnessism or Scientology or Seventh-day Adventism, you know, there's just not it's kind of an all or nothing narrative. And it, it mm-hmm. almost creates this binary mm-hmm. in 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 your identity of like I am or I'm not Mm -hmm. and that's so tragic I think because then it's it it eventually becomes this big crash this big identity crisis and I watch people who who go through that and it kind of breaks them yeah you know and it it broke me for a period you you met me when I was very broken (laughs) (laughs) I understand it does it does break us but I think there's a purpose to that oh I love I love people who have broken yeah because people who break and then come back they're they're my people they're yeah. just the depth, the beauty, like they're my people. And, you know, I maybe I misunderstood you, but I think maybe we have this in common, like because I'm not engaged with the church anymore either. And um, I went through all the stages, mm-hmm. but now I'm at a stage like I love my um, family and friends that are LDS. Yeah. I um, honor what they want to do with their life, right? And I've also given myself permission to 
reevaluate or implement things back into my life that felt good yes, to me yes. at that time in my life. And it may not be under the guise of Mormonism, but it's things I learned during that time period. Absolutely, Jill. That's why I'm so glad we're meeting now <laughs> and not a year or two ago, because I these past few years, I've, I've, I've taken this inventory of my childhood, my upbringing, my young adulthood. And and I've, I've actually literally made lists of here's all the beautiful principles and experiences and lessons um, and morals and values, et cetera, mm-hmm. that, that I absorbed, not just from Mormonism, but just from my community and, and my upbringing and the way I was raised. And, and I've, I've made this list and of all these things. And I'm like, those are still mine. I, I can keep those. I, Mormonism doesn't own those. Mm-hmm. But I've also made this list of here's all the things that really screwed me up. Right. Here's all the things that really confused me. Here's all the things that really hurt me. Here's all of the yeah. ideas that I am choosing to discard. And like untangling all of that yeah. is tricky. <laughs> it's not just like, oh, all these things. Here's my list of things that hurt me. And now I'm just going to throw it away and never think of it again. They always sort of resurface, right? And yeah. um yeah, revisit us. So I think, yeah, you have to identify them and then sort of work through them. But to your point, Jill, I have so much love for my upbringing, um, mm-hmm. my faith community, my parents, my family. Um, and that's what's so hard about this is like, I, I miss that. I love that. I want that. I recognize the value and the beauty and the meaningfulness in so much of it. And feeling like an outsider to that now, um, it, it, it's hard. It hurts. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make space for the pieces of it that were beautiful, that worked, to, to signal to my friends and family from that time in my life that, that I see you and I love you and I recognize the value and beauty in, in the way we lived and the way we were raised. Even though I am more or less dissenting and departing from it, I'm still taking the pieces of it that, that served me well. Yeah, and I think um, it's em- it's empowering when you can have people in your life that think or feel differently, but still have that love and relationship and connection. And like I have... we don't all have to think alike and maneuver our life the same, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah. To have each other in each other's lives. That's been a, a hard lesson to learn because, like, growing up in a in a space where we kind of all just believed the same yeah, and talked the same and signaled the same and it, yeah. it, to, to walk into a world of diversity and to make space for um, differing beliefs and ideas and not feel threatened by that. Mm-hmm. That's been a new muscle I've had to Oh, I agree. Work. And me too, you know, because it's easier to just hang with people that think like you. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely easier and it's a way to protect ourselves. Absolutely. You know? Wow. So, um, you, when you graduated from high school, I know the expectation in the religion that you were raised in is to serve a mission. Yeah. And, um, you know, something about Brandon is like, he's 110% in whatever he decides (laughs) to do. Like, um, you know, I've watched your journey and how you've worked really hard to get at this as a place that you're at, and you'll continue to do that throughout your life. But as a missionary, you also gave 110%. I did. 
Like, I, I really did. You you loved your mission. He was an assistant to the president. <sighs> he um, There's a little video out there if you guys... I finally got that deleted. Thank oh, goodness. you did? Oh, no, that was my favorite thing to watch. <laughs> Us walking down the street, singing and preaching. <laughs> knocking on and doors. Knocking doors <laughs> yeah. and I can't... Oh, my gosh. That, I, that still shows up in my dreams sometimes, but oh. it's finally off YouTube. <laughs> oh, you got it off. Oh. But, you know, mission, to be fair, because I also served a mission, teaches us many skills that we can use in our lives yeah. that are beneficial. I mean, you're you're very successful in, in the business you do, and I, th- I think probably a lot of those skills you learned oh, as a missionary. Oh, sure. I, yeah, I mean, my um, upbringing um, in the church and uh, also just backing up a little bit and then we'll get to the mission, something Absolutely. else that – that I think really um, served me well was when I was 15 years old, I had a cousin who was doing summer cells in New Jersey. Um, love this. Uh, well, it's actually my cousin's husband, but uh, he's, he's a cousin to me. Love him. And uh, I was like, I want to go out and knock doors and sell pest control with you too. And he said, oh, this is just for return missionaries. You got to be like, you know, 21, 22, 23. I'm like, no, I can do it. I want to do it. And my mom, she's amazing. Wait, she's how old were you? 15. Oh, 15. And I'm like, mom, I, I want to go to New Jersey and, and knock doors and sell pest control. And she's like, really? And she's awesome. She's always been really good at like, okay. Try uh, it. Yeah, try <laughs> it. And 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 uh, my cousin Shane, he's like, I don't even know if this is legal, if you can even get a solicitation <laughs> permit, but let's try it. Anyway, long story short, I went out um, to New Jersey at age 15, 16, and 17. And um, that was a grind. It was in the summers. And we would knock doors from about noon every day up until 9 p.m. at night. Pack a lunch in our backpack. I would get dropped off, no car. I would just canvas the neighborhoods. Wait, did you day. like that? It was horrible. Oh, I <laughs> was, was going to be like, what the heck, No, it was years? horrible, but the work ethic I learned and the ability oh to gosh. talk to, like, hundreds of people every day with, like, intense rejection. <laughs> yeah. um, that, that, was a, that was a cool experience. And I, I felt so cool as a 15, 16, 17 year old because every Sunday, that was my one day off, I would take the train to Manhattan and I would go to Central Park and read my scriptures, pack a lunch, read my scriptures, pack a lunch and go to church. And mm. I felt so cool like going to Manhattan to go to church well, while my friends cool. are going to church in North Logan oh, that uh, is cool. and reading my, having my afternoon scripture study in Central Park. But I, I remember in New York City, there's a lot of gays and I remember seeing them. I remember this one time I was in Central Park reading my scriptures and I looked up and not far from me, there was a gay couple having a little picnic together. They weren't even doing much. They were just laughing, talking, just totally normal, like maybe like putting their arms around each other. I might have seen them like kiss once, but it was like it was nothing crazy. But I was just like pained by that. Like I just couldn't stop staring. But every time I stared, I would get mad at myself. Like, why am I staring? And I would like continue to uh, look back down at my scriptures and say, like, keep reading your scriptures. Don't look up. Don't look up. But I kept looking up. And when they got up and started to walk away, I wanted to follow them. Like I just, there was something they had that I could sense that I just was starving for. And again, I didn't even fully realize what it was, Um, which I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say you recognized your, your people, but you couldn't really identify why you couldn't stop looking. And that's why. It almost felt ashamed for looking. Yeah. And, um, and so that leads us to the mission. So I'm, I'm having more and more of these experiences. And I, I think I probably should have known. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're Brandon, you're gay. But I just that assuming that identity, accepting that reality would have it just felt like a death sentence. Like mm-hmm. I didn't the only all I knew about being gay was that mm-hmm. your life will completely fall apart. 
and that you'll be rejected and that you'll get some terrible disease and that you'll have no place in society and you'll lose all your friends. Like, of course I'm not yeah, going to. It sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I always, you know, when people say, oh, it's a choice. I'm like, I'll tell you what, for being gay is hard, but being a gay Mormon is impossible. Like there's no kid in the church that's going to wake up and say, oh, you know what? I'm going to be queer. That's going to be super cool. Like everyone's yeah. going to love it. No. And we, and as, as um, queer Mormons, we become almost master actors at, at, at creating the persona, creating the the identity that that our that our community wants from us. You right. know, it's like we become so good at saying and behaving the ways they want us to be. To be fair, straight people are masters at that too in the church. That's true. In in a, in another context. In too, a right? different way. Yeah. I mean. I'm sure your acting was much better, but I, you know, when you said that, I thought, oh, what roles did I play? Yeah, yeah. What 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 identities do we assume, and what roles do we play in order to be accepted? Yeah, be part of the you know the group. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. I mean, it's it's tribalism. We're deeply rooted through evolution to want the acceptance and approval of our tribe. Yeah. Um. So then that leads us to the mission. Um. And I remember shortly before my mission, and it's also important that I mention Addie at this point. Um, Addie is my former spouse. I love her. She is a fabulous human being and one of the dearest people in my life to this day. I talk to her often. We have family night, Monday night, every single week. Um, but I need to mention that she was a, a huge figure in high school as well, up until the preparing for my going on my mission. She and her family. I became really close with them. They were some of my dearest friends. They were so good to me. And um, and I felt like I could really be myself with them. That doesn't mean I was, you know, coming out as gay, but I just felt more safe than in other places to just be Brandon with mm -hmm. them. Um, be quirky, geeky <laughs> Brandon. And so um, Addie became a dear friend to me and somewhat of a girlfriend through high school. She, she was my person. And... Um, Shortly before I went on my mission, I remember this was just a few days before I was about to leave for two years, me and Addie and her mother sat down and um, we were just talking and saying goodbye. And out of the blue, her mom was like, have I ever told you about my brother? I'm like, no, what, what about your brother? She's like, well, he's gay, but he's married to a woman and he has children and uh, he's an active member of the church. And that blew my mind. I was like, what? That exists? <laughs> and um, she was like, yeah, I mean, there's this organization, this nonprofit organization that did a whole video on him and his family. And and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, why are you telling me this? You know what? You think I'm gay? No, of course I'm not. <laughs> yeah, know? But interesting. I remember they left and I stayed up late that night watching that video. And not just that video, but completely researching the organization that had sponsored that video and watching lots of other videos. And I just was like, oh, my gosh, you can be like openly gay, but choose the church and marry a woman that like blew my mind. That was even a possibility. Did it did it bring you relief or did, did it, it did. scare you, scare no. you like, oh, like, is that what I'm expected to do? I mean, at that point. It brought me relief at the moment. In, OK, at that in that context, because. I, I loved the church and I believed the church was true. Like, despite my doubts, which I had so thoroughly suppressed, yeah. <laughs> I really, um, I loved the church and it was true and I wanted it to be true and it was my identity. And so if there was a way I could 
keep that identity while also finally coming to peace with this war I've had within myself regarding my sexuality. Like, I'm not even saying I want to do gay things. I just want to accept that that exists and that it's okay and that I can still be a good Mormon and marry a woman. And that that was hopeful at the time. Okay. So that brings us to the mission. Now mm-hmm. now I, I get my mission call and I, I was called to serve uh, in Fresno, California, English speaking. And uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with Mormon culture, it's uh, it, you don't choose where you go. You just say, okay, church, I'm ready and willing to go where you want me to go. That's actually a song. Wait, I thought God called us oh you're right you're right okay. i'm ready to go so church consult with god <laughs> <laughs> and tell me and, where and he says identify where i am needed because we believe there are specific people who are waiting for us who are ready to receive the true the truth the gospel they call it yeah uh, to be brought into the fold of god so it's a very sacred special moment when you get that that letter in the mail because you're like okay like this is where god wants me to go i am needed in fresno california and it was especially sentimental for me and my mother because that's where my my mother served oh wow and that's so cool. we had a, a, know a sweet moment together when i opened that mm-hmm. um so i go on the mission um i i did give it 110 percent. i mean i was not perfect uh but i was good i was really good like i really tried i i was almost exactly obedient almost to the point where it was ridiculous annoying (laughs) yeah there was this one time i just have to tell you i'm I'm sorry i'm gonna make this way too long but it's a funny story we were um so there's this rule you got to be home by 9 30 and we had been teaching and preaching and knocking doors and and doing lessons all evening and our dinner appointment had canceled we're like that's okay we'll just keep teaching all evening and we'll get dinner on the way home so we we um we're we're on our way home we stop at the drive-thru at wendy's at uh, 9 20 p.m and we order our food uh we get to the part where you pay at 9 25 oh, no. we're only a couple minutes from home but we're getting really anxious we're sweating oh, my like goodness. okay we pay for our food and yeah. now we're waiting for our food and the person in line ordered like a ton of stuff don't you hate it when that happens uh, <laughs> and, particularly when you're going to turn into a pumpkin yeah right well we are exactly we're like patting we're like elder we're gonna be late like what do we do like if we're late we lose blessings from god and exactly. then it's like then you have to confess that you broke the rules oh, and yes and we're like, okay and we're like calculating okay it's a two minute drive home we're really close okay if if this car doesn't pick up their food in the next minute we're gonna abandon and go well the car was there for another two minutes so we abandoned our paid for food and we drove home <laughs> and we walked in the door and we shut the door and it was 9 30 and we got on our knees and we said god we we're hungry we well we were hungry <laughs> But like, this is us demonstrating our faith and our obedience. Please bless us with increased success. Yeah. And we felt so proud of that. Oh, yeah. So proud of that. We're like, we are like valiant mm-hmm. soldiers of God. Bring us, bring <laughs> us know? those investigators. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, if you're not baptizing, it's because you really, you know, aren't keeping the rules. You're so. not keeping the rules. Yeah. Mm. So um, if that story gives you a little bit of insight into how I operated on my mission. Yeah. But, um, you know, my mission was complicated. I There were things I loved. There were fabulous lessons learned and principles that I learned. Um, and there were things that were hard. I mean, even on my mission, like the doubts kept coming back. I, I remember... Just lots of little things like meeting with people while knocking doors who were very kind and very respectful and brought us in and gave us water and gave us food and said, 
you know, elders, I, I respect what you're doing, but are you aware of X, Y, and Z mm. that contradicts your theology or X, Y, and Z that contradicts your whitewashed truth claims? And I would like panic in those moments because here's this alarm going off, the same alarm that would go off in high school saying there's something wrong here, there's something wrong here, there's a problem. And I'm like, and it would scare me because it's like, no, like I can't explore these these doubts or these, I can't explore the possibility that the church is not what it's claimed to be because if it's not, then what? Yeah, where do you go? I've invested everything oh, in this. where do you go? Where, well, that's actually a talk. Where will you yeah, go? Yeah, where will you go? Where will you go? I've seen a lot of responses to that question. <laughs> I know. And so, but I kept having those experiences and, and yeah, I remember laying awake at night, many nights on my mission, like, huh, that's a problem. Like, and I really thinking like, man, is this, is this everything I think and believe it is? And I would almost for a second crack that door open of what if it's not, but I would immediately shut it and carry on with the work the next day. Yeah. Wow. So it, when you came off your mission, um, what happened? Well, um, there's there's one story from my mission I need to tell that um, will tie into the after the mission. And um, I, I was lucky. I had great companions my entire mission. Everyone I was assigned with, they were just, were, I got along with them. They were awesome people. And there was one companion in particular that we just were, we became so close, like two peas in a pod. Everyone in the zone in the district joked about this bromance we were having together. Um, we just were glued to the hip. We were constantly laughing, constantly talking. We were having great success together. Um, we just were happy. We were just glowing. It was just like this power dynamic duo. Uh, and and uh, I, I started realizing like through that experience with that companion, like I love this guy. Like he is a beautiful soul, nothing sexual. Nothing physical. But a connection, yeah. I just like that felt different. deeply loved him in a way I had never loved someone before, like, you know, other than family members. I just like, and um, this part's a little bit vulnerable. It's hard for me to tell this, but I feel like it's important. Um, yeah, like it, it was the happiest three months of, of my mission. And uh, when he got transferred, when we got separated, those were some of the saddest few months of my mission. And I've never experienced that before. That was so weird. Like, I'm like, did I like, fall in love with this person and it was it was mutual even though he's straight like you know maybe we were experiencing this connection in different ways but mm -hmm. it's like we just couldn't get enough of each other like we would just like talk all day and lay awake at night talking we would when we were studying our scriptures rub each other's feet and you know like it was just it was awesome um and and even after we got transferred, we'd write letters to each other. And I swear, this guy's like totally straight. <laughs> you know, like, I don't want anyone to suspect him if they know who I'm talking about. He's totally straight. But um, but uh, after he got transferred, I was like, what just happened? Like, what was that? And I, I kind of had this epiphany. I'm like, my sexuality is more than just sex. Because the way I was taught about homosexuality is it's this dirty, filthy, sexualized, fetishy thing. And I'm like, there was no sex. There was nothing even physical. And like, I connected on a deep, like very genuine level with this other man. And it's like, I kind of discovered I have the capacity, not just the capacity, but the natural inclination right. to connect deeply um, in such a beautiful way with another man that I had never experienced before uh, with a woman or anyone else. And it felt so like authentic and so real. And, and I was like, 
that was an important piece of information for me. Still didn't connect all the dots at the time, but it was it was helping me get closer so that by the end of my mission, um, with other experiences and thoughts, I finally came to the point where it's like, I I think I experience same sex attraction. Oh. That's what we call it back yes. then. We don't use don't we, we don't, don't use we the call G it word. <laughs> same gender attraction. I think both work. Because I don't know if we want sex in there. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it's the gender sex, Jill. Yeah. But, okay. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yes, but that is the term the church uses, yes. the same gender attraction, same sex attraction. I we don't it's, say it's same gay. same sex because they call it SSA. It's like, I experience yeah, SSA. That's true. <laughs> but we don't say gay. No, we don't say gay because that's like. Don't say gay. Because then you're, you're, you're assuming that identity oh. and they don't want you to assume the gay identity you're just experiencing same-sex exactly. attraction it's this external temptation it's this external yeah. confusion yeah. Um, that you can overcome with enough devotion right. to the gospel so towards the end of my mission that was a big step because i finally came to peace with i experience same-sex attraction i'm no longer denying this the church is true i love god i believe the book of mormon is everything it's claimed to be I believe the church holds all the keys and the priesthood and blah, 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 blah. Like I was sold on all of it, despite all those doubts I had suppressed, uh, which are going to come out later. But I, um, I was like, okay, like it's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to do what Addie's mother's brother did. And I'm going to, I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to own that. This is my trial. This is my challenge. I'm not going to be ashamed of it. I'm going to stay on the straight and narrow path. I'm going to marry a woman in the temple and I'm going to be a good, faithful Mormon that experiences same-sex attraction. And, like, that was an important step for me, even though I look back at it now and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. That was an important step for me. Like, that was the next step I needed right. to take. And so I came home from my mission, and one of the first things I did was write this long letter to my parents explaining this. I experienced this, and I want your love and support. Don't worry. I'm not running off to San Francisco and throwing my life away. I'm staying on the straight and narrow path. Um, but I just want you to know I experienced this and I want your support as I continue to remain faithful and pursue marrying a woman. Wow. Oh, what was their response to that letter? They were kind and, and loving. I could sense they were concerned, mm -hmm. um, especially my father. Like I could sense there was a lot of concern and, um, when you say concern, concern about you marrying a woman or concern that no, you were gay? Concern that. I was gay and just like, wow, like this is a hard challenge for him. And mm -hmm. um, I remember one thing my, my father said is, thanks for telling us, just don't tell anyone else, <laughs> which it's OK. He was just trying to protect me. You mm -hmm. know, that was his way of loving me at the time. Mm -hmm. He thought if people knew they would treat you different. Sure. Yeah. Um, which is valid. Yeah. <laughs> um, I at that point realized um, I need to marry a woman quickly. Because I was afraid that the longer I waited and the more immersed in the world I became after mm -hmm. my mission, that I might slip away into temptation. And so I, I felt this urgency to secure my marriage to a woman in the temple so I can get on that path. Right? Yeah. Secure your place in the eternal scheme of things. Yeah, totally. So I, um, I married Addie the um, dear friend from high school that I was mentioning earlier. Uh, it, it happened very quickly. I wrote her a letter. She was still on her mission in Samoa. Mm, and I lucky. said, so I came out to my parents and I came out to Addie. 
and I said, Addy, um, you've been my friend for six years. You know me more than anyone else. I experienced same-sex attraction. I think you're a lovely human. I love our friendship. If there's anyone I could do this with, it's you. Um, would you give me a chance when you come home from your mission? And she responded to that. It was an email, actually, and said, I am going to marry the man who sent me this email. <laughs> and she was flattered. She loved it. Because to her, it was, it just, like, was, like, it, like, it, she felt like, oh, he's so humble. He's mm-hmm. so righteous. He's, like, he's, he's, he's sacrificing. He's putting this on the altar, his carnal, worldly temptations. Yeah. And he's choosing God. And something about that felt so safe to her and so beautiful to her. And she was, like, sold. So she came home, we dated for a few months, got engaged, and were married in nine months. Wow. I guess um, I've had the privilege to meet Addie. The three of us went out one night, had so much fun. And I've seen her since then a few times. And I just want to give a shout out to Addie. And I might get emotional, but, you know, I think that this is a time to really look at people still encourage or talk about uh, mixed orientation marriage and sometimes the person when they come out has a huge support group and the spouse that is straight and sacrificed everything to get that person to heaven that's how I see it like right she's like we can do this I'm going to say Brandon you know at the expense of sort of sacrificing part of myself yeah and um so I think they're sometimes overlooked in this whole um scenario you're right, Jill. Um, when I came out, I was met with this beautiful community like you. But where, where does the spouse go? What communities are there for spouses of, of the, the, gay, the other gay spouse? Like there's, there's just not really a community for them. And they kind of get left in the shadows and everyone celebrates the coming out of me. Mm-hmm. Well, you did it. And you're living your authentic yeah, life. And you're good showered. For you. with, yeah, and So proud of your like, courage. Yeah. Which is great and beautiful and wonderful, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but, like, it is hard, and, and I watched that be hard for her. Yeah. But she was so good through all of it. Um, so we sort of went ahead we did. to honor her. But <laughs> we did. So I, how long was your marriage? Yeah. How long did that last? Three years. Three years. Longer. I thought it was shorter, so yay. Three years. It was wonderful. Like, she was a fabulous friend and companion and wife to me for those three years. Um, It was hard. (laughs) It was really hard, but it was beautiful. And we had so much fun together. We, I was working for Delta airlines at the time and Mm. we had flight benefits and we were traveling constantly, just seeing the world together, sleeping on airport floors, sleeping in nasty hostels, She's still bitter about a few of those. <laughs> uh, there was one on, on Mother's Day we stayed in that had rodent droppings on the mm. floor. And she was so furious. She's like, could we have gone in a real hotel yeah, on Mother's Day? Mother's Day. Um, but uh, we had a blast. And we, we, were, we were exactly what each other needed at the time. Like, mm-hmm. we were going to school. We bought our first place. We were saving money. We were traveling. We were becoming a little bit more cultured and uh, a little bit less, uh, you know, we, we both came from just kind of um, sheltered Mm -hmm. uh, backgrounds. And so we were kind of dipping our toes into the world together. And she was the best companion. Um, We owned this little 400 square foot condo in the avenues of Salt Lake City. And um, it was just a shoebox, but we loved it. 
we it was it felt magical um it was exposed brick built in the early 1900s we bought it for a hundred and forty thousand. Oh wow <laughs> um this was 2016 2017 excuse me uh yeah it, it was again i don't want to like romanticize it because there was hard times and she and i will both speak to that i don't think it's necessary today um but it was also great but the hardest part was um, one year into our marriage. Um, I'm still just a baby. I'm, I think at this point I'm 22 years old. Um, she got pregnant and she had an IUD. We weren't trying to get pregnant. It was the last thing on our mind. And that was huge. That was um, that shook both of us. And I think it. Um, I, I can't speak for her, but for me, it, it really shook me because at that point, I was I was going to Westminster College. There, for those of you who know Utah, Westminster's progressive. It's a liberal arts college um, in Salt Lake City. Um, in fact, I some of my um, people from my mission warned me not to go there. They said it's that is a secular school mm-hmm. that is not friendly to um, the church. Yeah, the church, the Savior, His gospel, etc. But I, I wanted to go there because they had the best aviation management program at the time. And I had a good scholarship. So I went and I thought, well, I can be a light to these people. Absolutely. You know, I can I can be a light in the darkness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, it turns out they were more of a light to me. <laughs> um, because as I was going there, I was I was being exposed to, you know, more secular ideas and critical thinking and, uh, you know, ideas that challenged uh, some of these conservative religious narratives I had assumed my whole life. Uh, and... I, part of me loved it. Like the, the intellect in me, the curious in me was just eating it up. I was fascinated by it all. And I loved my professors and I had really, really good professors and classmates. And, um, but in the back of my mind, I was like, all these doubts, think back to high school, back to the mission, were kind of being validated by the information I was learning. It's like, yeah, I had that thought. Like, this is a thought people have actually explored and wrote books about. Yeah. <laughs> like, they have the answers to that? Wait, like, this is actually, like, a thing? There's a name for this? Like, oh, like, a philosopher already thought about this? <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, wait, what? Like, I, it was very, like, Must have felt very, like, validating. Yeah. Like, I'm not crazy. No. I'm like, wow. And I think the part that was most confusing for me is, like, I was surrounded by all these secular people that were, like, kind and, like, humanistic and like cared about humanity and morally driven and they didn't use religion to like claim that like that religion wasn't their why they had different whys and that blew my mind i was like what like because until now like religion had a monopoly on morality right and i was like wait what (laughs) and i i remember there's this one professor that i became kind of close with and would have conversations with and she kind of took me under her wing she knew exactly what i was going through and We've remained friends to this day, but um, so at this time, I'm, I'm like the, the faith crisis is really st- starting, and I'm like I'm starting to vocalize my questions. I was still active in church, paying my tithing, wearing my garments. For those of you who know what that is, um, I was I had a calling. I was frequently being asked to give talks. I was teaching in Sunday school, etc., etc., etc. But in the back of my mind, and like these these things were really starting to surface, and I, I started. I remember the first time I opened up to my elders, quorum president, one of my religious leaders, and said, "Hey, I." please don't worry, but I just, can I mention some of the doubts I'm having about the church? And that, like, that was so scary to say that out loud. Yeah. Because there, there's not really a lot of space for that. Yeah. He's like, yeah, what's going on? And 
I was like, I just, I, I, and I actually had been keeping a list at this point. Oh yeah, this and this and this, like, this just doesn't, doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up with history. It, like this contradicts, like, what about that? You know, I was always taught this, but the historical record is different. And he was like, wow, like you've really put a lot of thought into this. I'm like, yeah, have you not? Like, <laughs> am I the only one? Uh, he's like, I, he's like, you know, some of these things we just don't really need to worry about in this life. Like, you know what? Think about the way you felt on your mission. Did you feel the spirit? Did you feel close to God? And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what more do you need to know? Like these, you know, this is a slippery slope of secularism and questioning things. And so there's almost like this shame, like, right. and doubting. And so I was like, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I, I should just talk him away. But they kept coming back and they kept coming back. And um, long story short, I started getting more vocal and I started opening up to my parents and I started opening up to my friends. And, um, and I started getting frustrated because I was like, if the church is true, which I believe it is, I have every reason to believe it is, why can't anyone answer these questions? Because I, I figured, you know, if you if, if you have genuine questions and then if the church is true, then the genuine answers should come. Like, ask and ye shall receive. Like, that's kind of our mantra, you know? Um, so while I'm in the middle of this, I'm also starting to become more aware of my sexuality. You know, I'm growing up. I'm 22 now. <laughs> like, wow, you're old. I know. I'm like starting to like, I'm finally starting to wake up and be like, man, I'm like gay. <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm married to a woman and mm-hmm. I'm having this faith crisis and I'm like, ah, what's going on? Like, I'm just like, I'm just starting to, I'm, I'm not sleeping well at night. I'm like, I have so much going on in my head. And then Addie and I are at a doctor's appointment um, just for our annual checkup. And the doctor's like, any concerns, questions, blah, blah, blah. And Addie's like, well, I've just been a little nauseous lately. I don't know. It's probably nothing. And it's funny that we didn't even like think to do a pregnancy test. We just thought the IUD was foolproof. Right. And the doctor said, well, have you done a pregnancy test? And she's like, oh, no, I'm, I don't think I'm pregnant. It really hasn't been that bad. I just, I've just been feeling a little off. And she's like, okay, well, let's just do a pregnancy test first. And then we can maybe do blood work after and see what's going on. Well, they do the pregnancy test and the doctor comes in and says, you're pregnant. And like, that was the last thing I needed to hear in the middle of this crisis. Because yeah. <laughs> in the back of my mind, I'm already like, oh, I don't know if this marriage is going to work. You know? Right. You're sinking. I am. And as soon as the doctor said that, I just ran to the bathroom and it wasn't pretty. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the only time I've ever had like a physical sick. reaction to it. Yeah. Wow. Which really upset Addie because I kind of like abandoned her in this vulnerable right. moment. I come like, back and she's sorry. crying. She's I need like, to go throw up. Yeah, no, I did. It was, yeah, uh, that was very, that was rough. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, oh, shoot, like, I can't, like. I can't abandon this marriage now. No. No, that would be so messed up. Oh, congratulations, you're pregnant, and I'm gay and leaving you. Like, yeah. I couldn't do that. Can't do that. And by the way, like, we didn't really talk about, oh, one thing I forgot to mention, um, while I I told her that I experienced same-sex attraction before we got married, we didn't really talk about it after. It just was like the elephant in the room. It was just too uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, I think we were just scared to talk about it because right. of its implications. Right. It doesn't exist if you don't talk about it, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I didn't, after she got pregnant, I was like, oh, okay, Brandon. All these church doubts, all these gay doubts, whatever, they got to go. Because I like. Yeah, you're going to be a dad. I got it. Yeah. So I kind of like that. I feel like I buried them again and was like, okay, I got to focus on this child. I'm going to have to bless him. Mm -hmm. I want to be in like a good place to like bless him and and be feel good. Even though I was still in good standing with the church, totally active, totally air quote worthy. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to like 
Step I, it up. Yeah. I just wanted to be like in a really good spiritual place by the time this kid was born. And, um, but even throughout the whole pregnancy, like the questions kept nagging, the, the doubts kept adding. Did you ever share any of this with Addie? I finally started to share halfway through the pregnancy. I was like, I don't want to scare you. I know this is not the best time, but I'm really struggling with church. And I've been reading these things and here's some books and podcasts. And um, she was nervous, but she was also like very gracious. And she said, okay, um, how can I support you? And um, so we would, we would pray together. We would sometimes read scriptures together. We would listen to conference talks together. Uh, conference talks mean like, you know, uh, lectures and um, sermons from our, our church leaders. Um, but I also kept reading some of the other material that was um, uh, challenging the church's truth claims. And that all that made more sense to me. Like yeah. I was finally starting to be like, oh my gosh, like that actually makes sense, which terrified me. Well, um, Eli was born. I did bless him. I was still carrying on. Um, but uh, the, the faith crisis continued even after he was born. Um, and let me just say, like, amidst all that, these, this was still a beautiful time. Like we, Addie and I, we were good to each other. We loved each other. We loved this child. And even though it came at such a difficult time, um, you know, we embraced it and we were a team and it really was beautiful. Like just the other day I was looking at pictures and videos and it's so easy to romanticize the past, that nostalgia. It's just like, oh, you know, yeah. in the middle of all this turmoil, it was still so beautiful. Well, you got your son. Yeah, and she was just the best mother to him. She was so good to him, and he was, I mean, it was hard. That first year was really hard, but um, we handled it like champs, and we rolled with the punches and while still trying to work and all that. Well, um, let's fast forward um, another year. Um, the faith crisis gets to a point where... Um, like it's, it's consuming me. Like Addie would go to bed, she'd put Eli to sleep and I would sit in the living room for hours just reading books and listening to podcasts and studying and researching the dinosaurs, Jill. Now we're coming back to the okay, dinosaurs. The dinosaurs. Um, I, I don't even know why we call it the dinosaurs. I, I was <laughs> something that really bothered me. I know this is so silly and so stupid, but, um, you know, there's, there's human remains and fossils, um, uh, fossils of human remains going back hundreds of thousands of years to Africa. And in the meantime, my church is telling me that Adam and Eve were in central Missouri. I think they call it Adam on Diamond um, in 3900 BC. And that is on the church's website today. You can go to it right now. The old, it's called the Old Testament chronology chart and it starts in 3900 BC. Humanity begins in Missouri. Wow. <laughs> Um, you can tell this is triggering for me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I'm like, no, it didn't. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry. Turn that down. That was loud. <laughs> You're passionate. I'm like, and I know this is so silly, but it's just like this like glaring contradiction. I'm like, mm -hmm. uh, and so, and so when we met Jill for dinner, I was yeah. talking about, and, and Jill, you're like. When we, it was just you and me. When you and me, that's what I meant. Yeah. When we went to dinner, fast forward, we're going to yeah. come back to the story. I was telling you about these fossils and yeah. you just called it the dinosaurs. And you're like, Brandon, yeah. stop worrying about the dinosaurs. You're gay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sensitive. Yeah. He's like opening up about all this church stuff. And I'm like, 
Brandon, who cares? You're gay. Like, stop putting yourself <laughs> through this intellectual hell of trying to deconstruct yeah. the history and truth claims and contradictions of Mormonism. Like, you're gay. And I'm like, Jill, you're it's gay. not that simple because if the church is true and God is at the helm of Mormonism, like, I want to be on board. Yeah. So, like, I need to know if it's true or not. And the only way to do that is by doing my due diligence. <laughs> well, yeah. I, you do study. I Like, I'm so simple-minded. That's, that's okay. what, oh, I'm jealous. That, I wish I was like you said. That's what I call it. But, you know, like me not being engaged with the church anymore has nothing to do with the history or the dinosaurs or fossils. <laughs> <laughs> it has everything to do though, with supposedly the only true church that I served a mission for and gave my life to yeah, yeah. has no place for one of my kids. Now, that's a deal breaker for me. Yeah. And, you know, and that's just as valid. Yeah. You know, we all we all experience and process this. So that's probably why I said, but you're gay. You're gay. (laughs) And, you know, we just barely met. He's like, who is this woman? (laughs) I I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about like this is kind of the end of the marriage. And these were dark days. Yeah. It's like still. It's really it's still really hard to um, revisit this because. This identity, you know, this good Mormon boy I had been my whole life and the way I had just been showered with validation and love and community and support for being that person, it was all falling apart. And I was, I couldn't sleep at night. I was staying up late at night. I mean, it was dark. And I thought, how could I do this to Addie? Like, I love her. Yeah, I really do love her. Like, how how could I how could I leave her? But is this is this really healthy and sustainable and fair to each of us and and the church? It was like a double whammy. It was like this sexuality crisis and this faith crisis. It's like this church, this system, this this community that I've given everything to, like everything. Like, how could I leave it? Where would I go? Who would I be? Would I lose everything? Would I lose everyone? Like, how many hearts would I break? My mother, my father, my like, my grandparents, my cousins, my friends, my former mission companions. Like, all these people went through my mind. It's like, like I, I can't imagine leaving it. But after years of research, like, it's just not true. It's beautiful. It's meaningful. It's packed with light and goodness. But it's not literally what it claims to be. And there's... That might be fine for other people, you know, regardless of Mormonism being true, it might still be a good place for them to be. But for me, there's a lot on the line here. Mm-hmm. I've like sacrificed a huge part of what it means to be human, the ability to intimately connect on a deep, fulfilling level. Like Addie and I loved each other, but there was definitely like big pieces missing and it was extremely painful for both of us. And um, it and I mean, this is just three years into the marriage. Could we have done it for three more, six more, 10 more, 20 more? Would I wake up sad and miserable and depressed? Like, was I just delaying the inevitable? And so, yeah, I mean, it tormented me. Um, and eventually it came to the point where I, I sat down with Addie and said, I, and said, I, I, I can't do this. I am, I, we need to divorce. Um, and watching that break her, um, that sucked. That really, really, like, watching her just break. Um, you know, and she was like, I followed you through this whole journey. Like, I, like you said jump, I said how high. That's from a song. 
and I jumped and I jumped with you and I, I, I put all my eggs in this basket. I was working. She wasn't like, she's like, I, I gave like everything to this. And, and I followed you out of the church. I agreed with you. I validated your concerns. I, we walked out of the church together, but now you're going to leave me. And, you know, there are some like listening to this or some who know my story. They're like, man, Brandon, that was selfish. And it was like it, it was selfish. And I'm okay with that. And I don't need anyone to come to my rescue and say, no, it wasn't selfish. It, it was selfish. Like, oh, I was just going to say that. No, it was. Like, it's the most selfish thing I've ever done. But I also believe that it's the most kind and loving thing I could have done. Exactly. For me and for her and for Eli in the long run. Yeah, because I don't, I, I personally don't think it's selfish when you acknowledge and validate who you are. And, and um, I know how happy you both are now separate you know after your divorce so it was hard then but yeah you also gave her a gift i i I would like to believe that um yeah i mean we'll have to have her in here to share her side i would love for for her too (laughs) but i I watch her on social media she looks pretty dang happy (laughs) she's an amazing woman yeah she's one of the most amazing women i've ever met um yeah whoever she ends up with is gonna be very lucky yeah um, so yeah, dark times, really, really dark times. And just like the pain of like selling the home and separating our items. I mean, just so many tears. Like it just, like it just, everything felt so like dead and just like, just like well, broken. empty and broken. I mean, and you allowed yourself to be just break completely. Completely. From everything you knew. Yeah. Faith crisis, identity crisis, like sexuality crisis, divorce, and trying to love and take care of this little boy through it all as well. Um, so that, that's the dark part, but it gets better. Um, so we healed amazing how that happens. You know, nature teaches us that, right? You look at natural disasters, you look at spring. I mean, there's just, I think nature teaches us that, you know, yin and yang, there's, there's light and darkness, there's ups and downs, there's destruction and repair. There's winter, there's spring, and and gradually things healed. And one thing that Addie and I did that I think was the best thing we did is we decided we are still a family. We still love each other. And this beautiful little boy is going to grow up with two parents who are in each other's lives, who love each other and who love him um, because he deserves that. And we all deserve that. That's what's best for everyone. We're tied to this kid for life. We might as well make the best of it. Right. Um, so, you know, the divorce process was painful, but it was never, it was never ugly. It was, you know, we didn't have legal battles or anything like that. She was amazing through the, throughout the process. And, um, we decided that we're going to have family night every Monday night, um, which is kind of a Mormon tradition. They call it family home evening. Look at there. You implemented something back in. That's what I'm saying. Like you get to reclaim your Mormonism the way you want to take, take the things that work and repurpose them. That's the word. So we, um, for, and I think a lot of people were skeptical, like that's not going to last, like, but that was over two years ago and it's lasted. We rarely miss a Monday night, like probably on one hand, how many Monday nights we've missed in two years. And every Monday night we do something fun. We go on a hike, we go to dinner, we go to the park, um, we go watch airplanes. We like actually try and like plan a fun activity and Eli loves it. It's so cute. Whenever I pick him up from daycare on Monday, he says, is it family night tonight? And he just knows that comes once a week and he looks forward to it. It's his favorite night of the week. That's awesome. And it's brought she and I together. Like we've almost like after all that pain and all that destruction, like we've, we've almost like rebuilt a friendship 
but I don't think that would have happened without the Monday night family night. Like that has been like consistently doing that for two years. Like it's been like a gradual sunrise and we've almost like rediscovered each other in a new context. It's like the, what we once had, you know, that husband wife thing is dead, but it's like a Phoenix from the ashes. Like we've created this friendship and this co-parenting relationship. And it's awesome. Like sometimes we'll just call each other just to talk about life or listen to this funny thing that happened. Um, she also works at the same company as I was going to say, and your coworkers. <laughs> but I know, wait, but it's other funny. than that. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll start a meeting and say, good morning, everyone. Um, you got me and uh, my colleague, Addy. Addy's going to be helping you with your data import this morning. Good morning, Addy. How are you? Hi, Brandon. I'm doing like, you know, like nobody <laughs> so knows. So official. Yeah, nobody knows. So fancy. Uh, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm just so grateful um, for the healing that has taken place through the years and watching her discover the world herself. Like, I think that um, our upbringing, like, like kind of, um, it was very, like, patriarchal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of assumed that. And mm-hmm. I've even told her several times, like, man, the things I said and did, like, were so patriarchal and controlling. And she's like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> she's like I, like, I can't believe I said that or did that or controlled or manipulated you that way or, like, like hushed your voice or your identity. She's like, yeah, it was pretty bad. But at the time, yeah. she just accepted it because I well, was yeah. the patriarch. You I both was the were playing holder. roles. Yeah. I mean, like, this, these were the identities we assumed. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been, like, so cool to watch her. And I, I, I don't want to speak for her. Like, it's her story. But, like, just to watch her come into the world herself and, like, find herself and find her feminism and find her voice and, and find, like, her backbone. Like, I'm just so proud of her I, I almost swore because i am just so proud of her like That's she's okay. just we don't filter swear words uh yes but if my mom listens to this oh. I, I can't even say but it's bum but but bum? is not a nice word oh it's like i'm gonna kick your butt she's like bum oh bum it's <laughs> <laughs> hilarious I love my mother well um yeah I, i'm sure like you both have you both have been in each other's lives during much pain that you caused each other really and then you watch each other deconstruct, right? Yeah. And now over time and patience and love, and I do agree, I think that one connection every week, I'm sure it wasn't always easy. You probably didn't always want to see no, each other on that there Monday were times night. It was like we didn't even talk to each other. We yeah. just played with Eli. We're like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't yeah, you. I don't it's, like you. <laughs> yeah, but you know, to have that common cause of raising a love child, Eli, like he's never going to have his parents pit each other. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's just so rare and so beautiful. I'm so grateful. Yeah. So congratulations to both of you for figuring out a way to, to make that divorce healthy and to have that relationship. Thank you. I want to share um, one experience that was very meaningful to me. Um, some of you listening to this might be familiar with the name Richard Osler. Um, he is an active member of the church and uh, an LGBTQ ally. He walks a very fine line and he does it very well. And um, I love and respect Richard. He invited me to his home shortly after the um, divorce with Addie and I was so broken at the time I was just lost and everything was dark and he invited me over with welcome arms like so many people I could list so many people in the church and out of the church that were so good to me Um, and people who weren't but that doesn't (laughs) need to be discussed Um, but um, he he invited me to his home and I said listen Richard I don't believe this stuff anymore Um, like we were and he was he was sweet he made space for that 
I, I just don't. I tried. Like, heaven knows I tried. If I go to heaven, or if I die and go to the Pearl Gates tomorrow, which is not actually consistent with Mormon theology, but that's besides the point. If I went to the Pearl Gates tomorrow, I could look God in the eyes and be like, you know I tried. Like, you know, <laughs> like, my heart, like, was, was like, genuine. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I sit down in Richard's um, living room, and we have this great discussion. And before I left, he said, can I give you a blessing? And for those of you that aren't familiar with like Mormonism, a blessing is just you put your hands on the other person and you just you pray over them and you almost kind of speak for God. And I was like, I was kind of thrown off by that because like, I don't believe in you know the official priesthood or you know the patriarchy or the ability to bless you know with the authority of the priesthood that comes that is exclusive to Mormonism. But I was like, you know what? Sure, like. Uh, whatever you want to say, I can find meaning in it. You know, if it's coming from your heart or whatever, sure. So he gave me a blessing. And um, one thing he said, which I don't like necessarily interpret this literally, but it was so beautiful and meaningful to me. And it kind of like planted a seed of healing in me during that dark, dark time, as he said, something like um, God wants you to know that, that you and Addie were meant to be, that, you know, he, she provided this beautiful friendship to you in high school you were these companions and friends and spouses after your mission. You produced this beautiful child um, at a time when I was about ready to walk out and it was a birth control pregnancy. Like, you know, there's a lot of coincidences there, fate, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. I don't care. Um, but he, he spelled this out in the blessing and said, this was part of God's plan and you've served your purpose. You and Addie have served your purpose together. Um, you learned from each other. You have beautiful experiences and you produced this beautiful child and God wants you to know that it's okay. Like you can now move on to your next chapter and well done. And like, I was tearing up, not necessarily that I, that I believed everything was like literally, but you felt sort of probably released. It, it was just, I'm like, I like that story. Yeah. Like we were talking earlier today, like what story do you want to live in? You mm -hmm. know, it's, as humans, we're meaning making creatures. We all live in a story and we like to make meaning of life. And so it's like, you know what? That's a good story. Mm -hmm. And that story serves me well, much better than I wasted all this time and I had this child I didn't want to have and mm -hmm. uh, this marriage and this church stole all these years from me. It's like, you know, it was part of my story and it's where I learned and it's where I grew. And yes, it pained me. And um, there were really, really dark, dark times. And I will hold the church accountable for the things that, yeah. <laughs> that I think are just not okay. And I do. But in that moment, I'm like, it was like this moment of acceptance. And um, and I, I have come to really believe that Eli was meant to be. Absolutely. I don't know what I believe in anymore these days, and I'm okay with that. I'm a hopeful agnostic, and I am not ashamed to admit that. I, I don't know very much anymore. Like Socrates, I'm. Uh, the more I learn, the less I know. <laughs> the wisest man is the man who knows he knows nothing. I don't know a lot, but I deeply believe that that, beautiful little boy was meant to be and um as hard as it's been he's been just in some ways he saved my life really through this whole transition he kind of has been like some of the only light in my life when everything else felt very dark just like so full of life and curiosity and creativity and it's almost like i've rediscovered myself through him because he's kind of half me yeah and he'll well, you know, not kind of he is, he half is you. Half that, the story would get weird if he wasn't kind of <laughs> half of you I, yeah right. <laughs> i mean like i watch him ask questions i watch him just like 
his sense of wonder, the way yeah. he looks at an airplane taking off and asks questions. Or well, he's a he's a like a miniature Brandon. I mean, he <laughs> asks questions. And Addy too, though he has kind of the best of both, both of, of us. You. He has her sweetness and her creativity and, yeah. and her warmth. Um, but it's like it's almost like I've kind of found myself through him in a way. Like this is who I am at my core, and yeah. like that's beautiful. I can like be that. I was just thinking, like, what's so beautiful about this? Because when you were his age, you were already being taught very orthodox ideas and how you would proceed through life. Yeah. And Eli's being raised with, you know, mom and dad that's going to give him options and encourage his questions and encourage his curiosity and encourage his art or whatever, you know, like you guys are going to be his biggest cheerleader to just expand yeah. The boundaries of life without any restrictions. And Addie and I often talk about, like, where's that balance of, like, that expansiveness and that curiosity and that questioning with also, like, and here's some structure and here are some <laughs> absolutes. Like, because, like, we, like, naturally resist anything that feels dogmatic or absolute. But it's right. like, uh, are there some guardrails that are good for kids? Yeah. Like, that's something we're exploring right now and yeah. trying to like find that strike that right balance yeah (laughs) and I think that is a challenge for people that have been in orthodox religion when they leave to like okay but there got to be some rules right so what what rules are we going to come up together so we're consistent with our child right yeah but that's the great thing I think you guys feel the same you left the church together yeah so yeah that's that's a beautiful way to be able to to figure out together how you want to parent this child give them the best upbringing possible it's it's not easy um not just raising eli but leaving the church when you come from a system that has all the answers yeah that everything is black and white and and you kind of just know your role Mm -hmm. you have it all figured out you it's like there's so much like absolutism and like identity and my place not just in humanity but like the universe and the afterlife like everything is like fixed and like makes sense and to like step into this world of nuance you know I'm like you I think about the same um I don't know how to define myself but I don't know anything anymore from going from like feeling like you had all the answers to no answers um and I feel a lot of peace in that I think the hardest part of all of this wasn't leaving the church wasn't coming out as gay oh wow it wasn't the divorce it was losing my god it really was like that that being that i had like prayed to every night and like everything i did was in the back of my mind for him and his son and like to align with them like to like deconstruct that like, I think that's, like, similar to maybe losing a parent or maybe even harder because it's, like, that was my North Star. Like, that was my compass. That was your core. That was my core. Like, I am a son of God, and he knows me and loves me, and I'm on his errand. And to, like, disassociate from that God or deconstruct that God or realize that that entire God might not even exist, like that was sobering. That was a wilderness. Like, I think of Adam and Eve. I, I love the story of Adam and Eve, even though it's not literal. You know, mm-hmm. this is a triggering topic for me. 3,900 mm-hmm. BCs. Yeah, but, there you go. But, but <laughs> I think that the story itself is profound. Like, mm-hmm. here's these two people that grow up in this homogenous, mm-hmm. controlled, sterile environment. Like, think back to my upbringing. 
who are told, don't do this, Mm -hmm. who are saying, don't take the fruit, don't leave the garden, this is where you're safe, this is where you stay. And they knew deep down, something deep within them knew they needed to anyway. Something deep within me finally surfaced and said, you have to go, Brandon. You have to go. There's this beautiful, colorful world out there with so much to experience that you're just like not able to experience in this garden. And when I left the garden, it sucked. There's snakes, there's thorns, there's danger. It's a dangerous world out there. Like, it's not all beautiful. Like, when you leave Mormonism, like, it's a wilderness. But there's also, like, so much more capacity for, like, joy and experiencing things and, like, feeling things that I never, ever would have imagined I could experience. Like, I was just in Santiago, Chile um, last week. I got home yesterday. And... Like, the experiences I had there and the people I met that, like, I believe I was... It was just crazy. So many coincidences. Like, one of my best friends I met there. Like, get this. We ended up hanging out all week. He's straight. By the way, I love how I can, like, just be real with guys and girls now. Like, I don't have to pretend to like girls and avoid guys. Like, I could just own who I am. And he's not homophobic. He doesn't care. He and I ended up being on the same flight to Atlanta after that whole week in Chile. Like, it was just crazy. Um... Like, universe, God, whatever. I don't know what to assign it to anymore. But I have had so many beautiful spiritual experiences and, like, genuine human connection with, like, people from different walks of life that I just don't know that I would have experienced if I would have stayed in that garden. And I'm not saying that those who do stay can't. Like, I can make space for everyone's journey. I don't want to, you know, have this, um, like, sense of elitism or like superiority like this is just my story it's my journey and this is what worked for me but man I love I love where I'm at like yeah. it's hard sometimes it's confusing at times my life is really messy <laughs> but yeah. it's not as sterile and controlled and fixed as it once was but like I'm okay with the messiness because it's colorful and it's beautiful and it's, it's real you know it's super real I, I've loved watching your growth I mean you're definitely a different person than that moment when we met for dinner <laughs> two years ago I told you you were gay. <laughs> <laughs> I finally don't care about the dinosaurs, Jill. You'll oh, be proud of me. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy. It took me it a makes while. Me happy. It's like I am interested. I'm not. I don't care anymore about who's right and who's wrong. And truth claims this and truth claims that. Whether it's politics or religion, it just exhausts me. I'm like, yeah. Can we just like love each other? Yeah. And can just, we like, just have a good day and be like, nice to each other? Like the human experience is just like fabulous, and it's so short. Yeah. Like, let's just like make it awesome absolutely it's so <laughs> short it gets shorter every day mm. yeah well brandon do you have um you took a few notes where you came in do you have anything else that you want to share with our human stories audience you know i think this flowed i kind of had a feeling it would i didn't even really need the notes and i think we covered all of it i just um Anyone, I, the reason I did this, I, I've already shared my story. The people on my Facebook are probably sick of hearing my story, which is fine. Like, oh, there's Brandon again talking. I, oh, I've uh, never heard your story except for privately. I know, I know. Oh, but what, I'm, what a traitor. No, I'm just saying, I'm saying I, I've been. I You've mean, been I, open I, on I Facebook been open from the about, beginning. Yes. And the reason I did this is I, I don't need to put this out there anymore for my people i i'm hoping that this can reach someone who's maybe in a dark place like i once was and to anyone who might be listening who who is not just sexuality but anything like any life crisis or confusion or um fork in the road i i just um 
I know it sounds cliche, but like it gets better. It really does. And like, just be true to you, be true, be good, be kind. And it like, things just work out. Like it's uh, one of my favorite quotes is just trust the process of life. Um, be honest, be genuine, be good, be kind, and just trust that things will unfold in the right way um, because they do and, and they have. And uh, again, it sounds cliche, but there are brighter days ahead. Um, I remember listening to this podcast, Human Stories, a few years ago when I was in a dark place and hearing people say similar things like that. And I just never would have imagined that it really could get this good, that I could feel this alive and this happy um, and this connected to like a real friends where I can just like be myself with, like, I don't have to like put on this facade anymore. It just feels so good. <sighs> yeah. I just love you. And I'm just, I'm grateful that we're in each other's life <laughs> and that Ditto. I get to watch your journey. And I get to, I got to watch you not only through the pain, but watch you heal and watch yeah. Addie heal and, and just see, um, you're in such a good place. Like you just glow. You can just tell you love life. And I love how you think and how you post on Facebook. So follow Brandon Checkets because he gives a lot of great advice oh, and quotes. You gave a bunch like a list of all these <laughs> quotes today, I think, or yesterday from your trip. And they all resonate. You know, I loved all of them. Like, which one do I keep? You know, you <laughs> well, always, you're you. always making you're always making me think and reevaluate. Think and reevaluate. Thank you for creating a space for people to share their human stories Jill. absolutely i think we're just we're so much alike more than we're not oh, absolutely and i feel like that's what i want to focus on in this podcast is the human connection so okay everyone share this story get out there and, and share it with your family friends your leaders teachers anyone a child that you think um might benefit from this podcast that's what it's all about the human stories it makes us all better and makes the world a better place so go out there and do that and this is jill hazard Rowe with human stories 